0: As I mentioned, we're going to be in Nehemiah, and we're going to be picking up in chapter 11, and we got names like we've had in the past, and I had this profound thought today. I thought, well, we got names, but this is kind of the end of the names, and, and Sam said the same thing to him before I came up. I said, hey, you know, we, we got names tonight. He's like, yeah, but it's the grand finale of all the names, you know? So anyways, we will get some names tonight, mostly in chapters 11 and 12, and then we wrap it up with 13 and some very keen insights on the legacy of Nehemiah's life. So it's going to build, build, build as we go through the text tonight. And as we come to chapter 11, we I wasn't here last week because of my surgery. Thank you for your prayers. My ear is doing fine. Uh, I have the congestion from a little bit of complications with the um, anesthesia and all that, but it's, it's getting better and we're going in the right direction. So thank you for your prayers and I'm feeling much better and it's all going good. So I can hear way better, by the way. Praise the Lord. Like I can really... I was like, "Wow, the right earplug works now." The AirPods, like, "Hey, there it is, (laughs) it works." So, praise the Lord. And so, I was out last Saturday, uh, last Tuesday, because Sam was teaching. But the Tuesday before that, we left off where you know Nehemiah got the census from the previous generation. He was recruiting people to come live in Jerusalem. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They need people to live there. They read the Book of the Law, the Old Testament, with the, the words of Moses. And the people were committed, and they're excited, and that's where we left off. So we're kind of, we missed a cadence, but we're coming back into it tonight from that that mindset and that thought process where everyone was just praising the Lord, and they're excited for what they've accomplished. And now uh, they had made a recommitment, like a renewed covenant with the Lord, and they were very serious about what they are doing. So chapter 11, we pick it up now, in chapter 11, verse 1, going forward from that context. Now the leaders of the people dwelt, at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities. Israelites, priests, Levites, the Theodenum, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and the children of the tribe of Benjamin. The children of Judah, Athaiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shaphatiah, the son of Mahahalel, of the children of Perez, and Masiah, the son of Barak, the son of Hose, the son of Haziah, the son of Adadiah, the son of Jorib, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shaloni. All the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Mashalum, the son of Joed, the son of Padiah, the son of Coliah, the son of Masaiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jeshaiah, and after him Gabai and Salai, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Senua was second over the city. So these are those are big time leaders from the tribe of Benjamin. Of the priests, Jedediah the son of Jorib and jakin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Moriah, the son of Ahitub, was leader of the house of God. Their brethren who did the work of the house were 822. And Adidiah the son of Jehoram, the son of Peleliah, the son of Emzi the son of Zechariah, the son of Pashur, the son of Malchajah and his brethren. Heads of the fathers' houses were 242. Amishai, the son of Azarel, the son of Azariah, the son of Meshelamath, the son of Emer and their brethren. Mighty men of valor were 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of one of the great men. Verse 15. Also of the Levites, Shammamiah, the son of Hashab, the son of Azrakim, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Buni, Shabbathiah, and Jozab, of the heads of the Levites, had the oversight of the business outside of the house of God. Uh, Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zibdai, the son of Asaph, the leaders who began the thanksgiving with prayer, Bakbaiah, the second among his brethren, Abda, the son of Shamua the son of Galaal, the son of Jethun, all the Levites in the holy city were 284. Moreover, there were the gatekeepers, Akab, Talmon, and their brethren who kept the gates, were 172, and the rest of Israel, of the priests and the Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the Nethinim dwelt in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishpah were over the Nethinim. Also, the overseer of the Levites of Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashbiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Mekah of. The sons of Asaph, uh, the singer in charge of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion before the singers are quoted day by day. Petheniah, the son of Meshabel, of the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's deputy. was the king's deputy in all matters concerning. The people. So this is all administration, religious administration, priesthood, Levite service. This is all administration, and government needs good administration, uh, and as does good ministry. And this is what you have. These are all leaders for ministry and administration and the functioning of this new birth capital for Israel there in Jerusalem. Verse twenty-five. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kirjat Arab, Kirjat. Arba and its villages, Dibon and its villages, Jacob, and its villages, in Jeshua, Moladah, Hazar Hazarshul, Beersheba and its villages, in Ziglag and Mekona, its villages, in and, and Rimon, Zora, Jarmuth, Zenoa, Adullam and their villages, in Lachish and its fields, in Azica and its villages, they dwelt from Bersheba to the valley of Hinnom. Also, the children of Benjamin from Geba dwelt in Mishmash, Ahijah, and Bethel and their villages, in Anath, Nob, Ananiah, in Hazor, Ramah, Githim, in Hadid, Zebum, Nebalot, in Lod, Ono, and the valley of craftsmen. Some of the Gean divisions of Levites were in Benjamin. So, some of those. Levites, they live within the region of what was just come to the northeast of Jerusalem. That was traditionally Benjamin's territory of the tribes of Benjamin. So again, here's the administration, all these people. These names are important. Your names are important. If we took a roll call on who's at church tonight, your name's important. You're part of the body of Christ, most if not all of you. You're, many of you, this is your home church. Your names are important. You're placed in the body of Christ, the gifts God's given you, practically for His glory in the human experience, the gifts He's given you spiritually for the body of Christ to serve. Practical gifts of being available, the uniqueness of your personalities—we're all important. Body of Christ is important. People of God are important, and there's a place for all of us. And these—that's what we need to look, think about when we see names like this. Like, well, we don't know these people; they're a different generation. But yeah, but we're people, and we're people in our generation. And this is the house of God. They're the people of covenant. We're the people of covenant. You're important. You're you're very important. We're all very important to the Lord. All humanity is important to the Lord. Every soul. And when we come to Christ and we're part of his family, the body of Christ, we're very, very important because we're his children and his people. And he's got a plan for us. And so we're walking in that plan. And these people they were at a key juncture, you know, they, they had reread the law of God, they, they were people of covenant, they had recommitted themselves to the covenant of God, they said, we're going to do all this, we're, we're signing the dotted lines, like we mentioned this two weeks ago, like signing the Declaration of Independence, we're all in, put our names there, we're all in with the Lord, his people, we're, we're serious people, we're not just doing um, Sunday church, I was sharing with someone today from my past, and we we're talking about where I was at in the mid-80s, and I said, well, I would, I would go to church sometimes, and I, I always believe in God, and he had a Catholic background as well, and I said, but you know, my faith never got out of Sunday morning. It never got to Monday morning. Yeah, I just never, never got there. And that's, when the Lord gets a hold of us, it's, it goes to Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday evening and Thursday midnight, and you know, like, we understand that. And these people... These names are here because they're associated with a great revival, a great recommitment, and a a reboot of the whole Judaism of the Old Testament, the people of covenant. Remember they had that tabernacle feast that had never been happening in a thousand years? They've already done things that no one's ever done at the people of God in their covenant ever, under the Mosaic covenant that was like 1500 B.C. at Mount Sinai to their time, let's say 500 B.C. These people are very special. But what gets our attention before we move on to the next chapter is the beginning of this chapter where it says, we've mentioned this and we talked about this a fair bit a couple weeks ago, that they needed people to live in Jerusalem. They built the walls for the city capital and their identity, really the heart of their nation, the heart. But they needed people to live there, to do commerce there, to prosper there, to defend that city and to create its identity as a capital. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. In fact, we see here, one, the leaders, it, it, you could say it was a get-to, but uh, it's a have-to. In verses 1 and 2, we see that the leaders dwelt in Jerusalem. You know, with Nehemiah around, this isn't like a, a, you know, an either-or. Hey, you can live in Jerusalem, or you can live in you know, Ono, or up here in Jabez-Gilead. No, you can't. You're a leader. Leaders lead from the front, and leaders lead by example, You just signed this piece of paper saying that you're all in for the covenant. This is the need for the people of the covenant. We are centralizing our leadership in Jerusalem. So leaders, you know, good leadership just knows what you need to do. And I even, I think it was Sam I was talking to the other day. I go, you know, it it, it was a get-to, but there's a half-to. In ministry, there's some half-tos. But it's better if you look at them as get-tos. No, we get to do that. And, you know, that's for leaders sometimes. Those of you in leadership, you realize, you know, like, as my brother said to me in some of the stuff taking care of my dad, he goes, hey, the, no one said the crown's light. <laughs> the, the, the crown can be heavy to, to wear the crown. And that's what leadership is. Sometimes you wear a heavy crown, and you don't have a choice. You're not even in the lottery. You don't get a, you don't get a 90% chance to get out of it. You're, you're the leader, and you lead from the front, and you got to be in Jerusalem. And that's just the way it is. It's put up or shut up, and that's just good leadership. you got to lead. So just a reminder, leaders lead. They do what needs to be done, and it might seem like a have to, but really the privilege of being a leader, it's a get-to. Yeah, it's, it's perspective. That's how you want to grow as a person. It's a get-to, not a have-to, and that's why I want to look at those things. But then there's a draft, literally a lottery, one in ten. I mean, everyone else, it's like the draft back in the 60s. You know, your draft card for you really older people, older than me, Uh but when everyone, everyone tells me, that, like, the class of 68 or 69, 70, 71, I'm like, dude, did you, what happened? Did you go? Like, you know, that was the time of the draft. And this is a draft. One in 10 got drafted. And, like, so the, the leader's led, and then it's then like, all right, here's, here, here's 100 men. And they're like, okay, you know, they're lined up. Caleb, Joshua, and all these other guys with their Hebrew names, like, here we go. They throw the lots. It's like, you know, Caleb stepped forward, like, oh, man. His friend's like, you know, you get to live in Jerusalem. Because it wasn't inviting. Their villages, their, their vineyards, their groves, all, they, were, they, they had land. They had property. They had lives. They had businesses. This is all venture capitalism without capital. This is, this is entrepreneurship. They got, they're going to create a city where there isn't one. They're going in the unknown. So the lot follows you. You just have to say, well, it's the Lord. A man can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord. And we're told in Proverbs, the lot belongs to the Lord. So you're one in ten, and ladies and gentlemen, they called your name. Step forward. Your new residence, as a Hebrew in this covenant, is you live in Jerusalem. So it's either a get-to or a have-to. So if you receive it as mean from the Lord, it's a get-to. But if you're going to fight the Lord, it's a have-to, and too bad for you. Make it a get-to. But the third group is the best. Did you catch that? Those who offered themselves willingly. You know, there's all kinds of studies done on those people that run to the battle. They run to the crisis. They jump on the grenade to save their platoon. There's just You, you find it in the crux of all who those people are. There's just something about them. They, they just are those people. And when you think about it, especially as you get older, these are the people you esteem. You younger people, listen to me. These are the people you esteem when you get older. You esteem people who willingly offer themselves for a cause greater than themselves. Because we inherently are selfish. And we know what house we want to live in, what vineyard we want to develop, which olive grows we want to be in charge of that dad's going to give us in a matter of 10 to 20 years. And we've got a business model that's going to run that thing. And, but when you willingly offer yourself to let go of your dreams and your things that you got going for the greater good of other people. This is what humanity esteems, by the way, too. And again, as you get older, you realize this. When you're getting down the stretch in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, you realize what people value is people who gave their lives serving others in the last 60 years. We don't value people who are selfish and took from others and built things to be left behind and that are people just going to fight over when they leave. We value people Who served others with their life. That's who we value. So it's a reminder. It says there in verse 2. The people blessed those men. Who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. They accepted. A cause greater than themselves. And they gave up their self will. For something to the benefit of the people of covenant. That was bigger than them. And isn't that a wonderful example for all of us. So leaders, it's a get to, not a have to. And if the lot falls to you one in ten, it's a get to, not a have to. But man, when you just straight up volunteer, like, hey, on special forces for the Lord, when you do that, man, that's that's an honorable thing. It, that looks really good. That looks really good for people who are headed for eternity when they think about the people they esteem as they're moving toward eternity, when it all becomes so clear what your life was all about. Statues aren't built for takers. Statues are built for givers. Those who willingly offer themselves. Now we read on in chapter 12. Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shutiel, and Jeshua, and Saraiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Malach, Hattish, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Edo, Ginnathoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Madiah, Bilgah, Shemaiah, Jorib, Jedidiah, Salu, Amak, Hilkiah, and Jedidiah. These are the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. Moreover, the Levites were Jeshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Shabiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who led the thanksgiving psalms. And he and his brethren also Bak, Bukaya, and Uni and their brethren stood across from them in their duties. Jeshua begot Joachim. Joachim begot Eliashib. Eliashib begot Joadah. Joadah begot jo- Jonathan. Jonathan begot Jedua. Now in the days of Joachim, the priest, the heads of the father's houses were Sariah, Meriah of Jeremiah, Hananiah of Ezra, Meshulam of Amariah, Jehonanan of Meleku, Jonathan of Shibaniah, Joseph of Haram, Adna of Marioth, Helikiah of Edo, Zachariah of Genethon, Meshulam of Abijah, Zikri the son of Minijim of Modiah, Piltai of Bilgah, Shemua of Shemaiah, Jehonathan of Jerobib, Mataniah of Jedidiah, Uzi of Salai, Kaliyai of Amach, Eber of Hilkiah, Hashbiah of Jedediah, Nethanel. During the reign of Darius, the Persian, a record was also kept of the Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Eliashib, Joadah, Johanan, and Jedua, the sons of Levi. The heads of the father's houses until the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib, were written in the book of the Chronicles. And the heads of the Levites were Hab- Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Camiel with their brothers across from them, to praise and give thanks, groups alternating with group, according to the command of David, the man of God. Mattaniah, Bakubiah, Obadiah, Mashalim, Talman, and Akab were gatekeepers keeping the watch at the storerooms of the gates. These lived in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josadak in the days of Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest, the scribe. So these are contemporaries. That's what it gets to. Verse 27. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Okay, now we have this event. They sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing with cymbals and stringed stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the villages of the Netophetites from the house of Gilgath, from the fields of Giba and Asmaveth for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people the gates and the wall so they brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs one went to the right on the wall toward the refuge gate after them went Hosea and half the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Mashalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests, sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mattaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his brethren Shemaiah, Azarel, Mil alai, Gilai, Mai, Nethanel, Judah and Hanai, with the music, musical instruments, David with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And as the scribe went before them by the fountain gate in front of them. They went up the stairs to the city of the city of David, on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. Now we get that personal pronoun. I was behind them with half the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of a hundred of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. Verse 40. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God, likewise, I and half of the rulers with me, and the priest, Eliakim, Masasiah, Minjamin, Micaiah, Eli, Onai, Zechariah. Hananiah with trumpets, also Masaiah, Shimeiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malchazah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang loudly with Jezariah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the offerings, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Remember they remember they made big commitments to bring the tithes. We saw that two weeks ago. Verse 45, both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. That's full-time employment to be in ministry. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. And just a reminder, again, when we get Levites, priests, and the children of Aaron, those distinctions are all Levites are Levites, and, but the priests come from the one subdivision of Levi to be priests. So there is a distinction in the service, although they're all from the tribes of Levi. The priests, you know, are a subdivision of the tribe of Levi that it's just them to be doing the priesthood services. And we've seen that going through Chronicles and whatnot. So now in this chapter, we get all these names again, you know, priests and priesthood, Levites and their service. And it really connects to the event of the dedication of the wall, right? So it's a big deal. Remember, over a thousand, excuse me, over a hundred years, they've been back in the land and they had rebuilt the temple of Solomon, not the same degree of glory, but they had rebuilt it. But the walls represented shelter and safety and identity and they hadn't rebuilt the walls and there had been opposition to rebuild the walls. So once the walls were rebuilt by Nehemiah, that's a really, really big deal. And we saw he did in 52 days what couldn't be done in 100 years. Think about that, because we're going to focus on Nehemiah pretty much the rest of the night here in a moment. This man, who was the cupbearer in Iran, the Medo-Persian Empire, to the king, Artaxerxes, who had that position by which he'd ac- he could accomplish great things, did accomplish great things. And we talked about this. Some people have a position to do something great, but they don't. And some people do great things without even having a position but there's there's something very special about people who have a position by which they can do something great, and they do something great. We're gonna see that with Esther around the corner, our next book. His obedience brought such blessing on everybody. And it's it's pretty cool because we're all fans of David, uh, having spent time with David in the last few years going through the historical books, and we're headed for the Psalms, and we'll get more of David not far around the corner. But it says David really is emphasizing this chapter, if you didn't catch it, like the, the musical, the, the giving of thanks the groups alternating with group, verse 24, according to the command of David, the man of God, you just, you just, you just love it when like your name's dropped and you're like the woman of God. Like if we, if we say your name, like put your name there, ladies, like you know, so-and-so, the woman of God, you're like, well, that's kind of nice. That's nice when the Lord says that about you or men, the, the man of God, like so-and-so, this person, the man of God. And what made David a man of God was his heart for the Lord. He sincerely loved the Lord. We were singing Psalm 23 earlier tonight, and and God is my shepherd, and such a powerful version of that song by John Foreman uh, with the, the Psalm 23. Man, it just makes me want to cry almost every time I hear it. It's so powerful. It, isn't it? Like, it's so powerful. Psalm 23 is so powerful. Like, I was like, no, 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 not tonight. Don't start crying right now, man. It's like the last song. You cannot cry on this song right now. Anyone else can cry because they are not to get up and teach. Man, you've got to hold it together right now. You can't have the manager in a dugout saying, you're about to go start pitching this game and you're crying right now? Yeah, I'm just crying because he's playing Psalm 23 by John Foreman, you know. But it's, it's David could articulate that heart of worship for the Lord. And we all, the history of people of faith appreciate the Psalms of David. So many great men and women have devoted years of their life to write about the Psalms of David and what he expressed toward the Lord. And of course, Psalm 23 of books, commentaries written on Psalm 23. Who can even know the volume of books written on Psalm 23? It's just so powerful. David, the man of God, in spite of his blemishes and failures, which we seem to be more aware of in our lives than not, he's still called the man of God. And he understood the importance of praise and, and thanksgiving to the Lord. And it's really wonderful that 600 years after, or 550 years after his life, he's the standard by which Nehemiah is making his decisions, what they're doing. And it says, it says later on in verse 36, the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And, and then it says later on uh, there in verse 45, according to the command of David and Solomon's son, for in the days of David and Asaph of old, these are the singers and the songs of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, just, you don't remove the ancient boundaries. You know there, there, there's, there's, there's boundaries that are just so beautiful that God's given. A compass is a boundary. North is always going to be north. Origin is going to always be six days of creation. Righteousness is always going to be the Ten Commandments. I'm telling you, you just just meditate on the Ten Commandments every day for 30 days, and you'll just go like, wow. In a world upside down, without a compass right now, you meditate on the Ten Commandments for 30 days, you'll just be like, there it is. This is the standard of right and wrong. It's never going to change. But the more you meditate on it, you go from thinking about God and his righteousness, and you think about the world's need of these standards of righteousness in education and government and these things. And then you, by, you just keep going and you're like your need for this righteousness by the power of the Holy spirit. At least that's how I look at it. These ancient boundaries, the, the, the parameters that God gives us of his word, things that principles of his word, truths of his word. They're so reliable. When you look at something like what David did, and he's the man of God, the man of God, and just, They're applying this 600 years after his life, give or take a few, and here we are singing this song tonight 3,000 years after his life because it's just so true. And however many memorials I have until I get to eternity, the odds are at least 50-50 I'm going to read or pray Psalm 23 either in the service or graveside. And pretty much if there's a graveside, I always save it in my back pocket for graveside. If I'm doing a two for one, I'm doing I'm doing you in the sanctuary with your family, and then I'm doing you graveside, I'll I'll save it for graveside usually. Just giving you a preview of what that day looks like. I've seen it many, many times, and I've shared it with some of you, with you and your parents, and you and your loved ones. If I'm doing graveside, it's Psalm twenty three. These are beautiful things. We should esteem them and value them. There was joy. There was rejoicing. Verse 43 is just... Verse 43, they rejoiced, made them rejoice. Great joy, rejoiced joy. That's, that's, that's a five-pack there in one verse. What a wonderful day it was with the Lord. You know, the Lord wants us to have joy and rejoicing. Singing the songs of praise and the songs of thanksgiving and holding true what's eternal and always true and right, and God's not mocked. He made this universe. He has righteous standards. He gives us the Beatitudes and the Spirit to live a fruitful life. It's there for who wants it. But here's the funny thing about between chapter 12 and chapter 13. Ten years. Because when we come to chapter 13, you're like, we leave off with such a happy scene, and then we come to chapter 13, and it's not so happy. But it... It does really have a very real ending, a real ending. I like happy endings. I would say it's a happy ending. It is a happy ending for Nehemiah, but it's a very real ending. Like, some things are just raw and real. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like really happy endings because I just want to think it's always a happy ending. But we know sometimes it's not always a happy ending, but it's a real ending. And so this chapter 13 is, is really the crown jewel of the book because it gives us a real ending with the human experience, and how things really work. And there's a reality to it. And we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 13. In the, in the, on the day that they read from the book of Moses, and they're hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come to the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, that is when they came out of Egypt, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, when Balaam did curse them, that's all back in the book of Numbers, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they heard the law that they separated all themselves from the mixed multitude from Israel. The devil loves to make everything confusion. Confusion over distinctions. But God gives distinctions. Verse 4. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storeroom of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Remember that bad guy early on in the book? And he had prepared for him A large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priest. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then, after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. And then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed a treasures, I appointed as treasures over the storehouse Shilamiah the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites Pediah, and next to them Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mattaniah, For they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Very important, verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its service. We get a cadence now. We went with the name cadence right there for two chapters, but now we get the Nehemiah confronting evil cadence. And this is what we're going to see. This is the first of the three. Nehemiah sees something, he calls it evil. He contends with it, and then he makes it straight. He sees something that is wrong. He calls what's wrong evil. He contends with it, and then he corrects it. That's what he does. And in all three cases, when he does it, he then prays to the Lord. So we got five rejoicings in one verse in the last chapter. Now we get three a repetitious cycle of what we can learn when a great leader recognizes evil, confronts the evil and contends with it, puts things in order, and what he prays after he puts it in order. Now remember the context is the priesthood, the people of covenant. This isn't like so much geopolitical like social, although, you know, you can definitely get a principle for that. This is like in the house of God. This is people of covenant. So we want to keep that context. Man, he's gone for 10 years. You know, this is what we say. Jesus said it. Wisdom is justified by her children. And when you're young, you want credibility, street cred, as they say. The only way to get credibility in life, and all of us older people know this, is to build credibility in life. You build a resume of credibility. A life of good decisions and making wisdom proves itself. That's why Jesus said, wisdom is justified by our children. Good decisions prove themselves, and you build a resume of good decisions. And as it says in Proverbs, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. So as beautiful as last chapter was, five times in one verse, rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. David, 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 all singing praise and two choirs going this. Show me where you're at 10 years later. I have been a minister for 35 years. And I woke up, and I was in my 60s, just like some of you. Some of you have been like a you know, carpenter for 35, you know, 35 years, and you woke up in your 60s, or a cop, or whatever. You know, It just happened. And when you're a minister, you, you see front, center. People who are like this in 1990, but they're like this in 2005. And you see people like this in 2003. But like this in 2017, right? See, wisdom is justified by our children. And the walk that keeps walking, that's the walk that matters. And that's what's so shocking about this chapter is they look so good in chapter 11 and 12. And Nehemiah's got to confront these things. And the first one is Tobiah, of all people. What? It's not about Tobiah. Because those guys exist everywhere, and you probably have one in your extended family. They want everything for free. They stir up strife and discord. Uh, they don't want to work for it. And they don't care if the ties come in or not, as long as they have a free room, a free room and board. They don't care if it's in the temple or in the village of Kirjithum. They're just gonna they're gonna live off someone else because they're entitled, and that's the way it is. I'll never forget what Pastor Don McClure said to me years ago at Big Calvary. We were having a casual conversation, and he was talking about a relative who's like us, and he said, you know, Joey, the way Don McClure would say it, there's one in every family. I was like, really? I don't know which one is in my family, but I sure hope it's not me. But you just add some cousins and uncles, and you start going out, you know, it's, it's, yeah, Tobiah. Hey, there's only one way to deal with it. Kick him out. Kick him out. If it's evil, and it's in the house of God, You got to kick them out. You throw their stuff out, you confront it, you confront those who allow it, you call it evil, you contend with it, and you kick them out. And then you set in order what should be the way, the right way is the right way, and you bring peace on the situation. That's what you do when you're Nehemiah. And then you keep your prayer simple. You don't need a complicated prayer. No, sir, no, ma'am. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of God. One down, two to go. In those days, and and by the way, those of you who contend with evil, do you ever realize there's always more evil to contend with? You know, it's it's like, it just never ends. It just never ends, does it? As long as you're alive. Why do you think Paul called it the good fight? He said, I fought the good fight. But now I'm done. I'm going to eternity. But he was fight. I fought the good fight, and now someone else is going to fight it. And when you're gone, someone else is going to fight it. Chuck's gone. I've got to fight it. You got to fight it. I'll be gone. you you'll fight it. Your kids someday. You know, Mark Coca in 2090 will be fighting in the 70s. Right? It just goes on and on. It's a good fight. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of burdens, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre, these Lebanese people, they they dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of good and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. So I contended with the nobles of Judah, and I said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not our fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut. And I charged that they must not be open till after Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants... And sellers of all kinds of wear lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. And then I warned them and said to them, hey, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I'm, I'm going to lay hands on you. And that's, that's all that some people understand. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and also spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. So here it is, evil number two. He sees it, he calls it evil, he confronts it, he deals with it. I, mean, like, I just think when Nehemiah is showing up with all that caught from Medo Persian, he says, "I'm going to whack you guys." Like, you know, it's like it's, he's going to do it, like. In ministry, when you have to confront evil in the church, sometimes you gotta let let people know you're you're gonna deal with it. You're not messing around. That's why you have security, that's why you have people with concealed carry, that's why you got people that know self-defense. Like, there's evil, and it comes in the house of God, and you gotta deal with it. There's no messing around. Sometimes it's just the way it is. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is the way it is. So Nehemiah just did what he had to do, but he gave it to the Lord. Remember me concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. So he's like, now he's saying, I just need your mercy. Just spare me, God. I'm just doing the best I can. With what, the position he had, he's just doing the best he can. Doesn't that sound like us sometimes in family matters, things at work? Things in the community in our world, uh, where we're connected, we just sometimes we just do the best we can, you just do the best you can, but when it comes to the house of God and things like this, man, you just gotta the Sabbath was so special to Israel in their covenant it's hard for us to understand because we don't have that same feeling, but it was what identified them in their covenant and man well since The first day of the week replaced the Sabbath, and the first day of the week is the day the Lord rose from the grave, right? So the church always celebrated on the Sunday because that's the day the Lord rose from the grave. Well, we celebrate, historically, churches celebrate Sunday for 2,000 years because we identify with Jesus' resurrection. Well, for 1,500 years, they identified with Saturday because that's what God gave them in their covenant. So it was pretty special. (laughs) Remember the Sabbath. (laughs) Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. It's not there for, it's, that principle's there for the church, but that, that, that was the law for the Mosaic Covenant. Nehemiah's like, hmm. Remember me, oh my God. And then the final one, he says, in those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashod, Ammon, and Moab, and half their children spoke the language of Ashod and could not speak the language of Judah. Oh gosh, that is like, that's so brutal right there but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. See, because darkness usually consumes light. That's why that was that way. Um, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Verse 25, so I contended with them and cursed them, struck them, struck some of them, pulled out their hair, (laughs) and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son's yourselves. Did not Solomon the king of Israel sin by these things that among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless the pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil? Transgression against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Joadah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law of Sambalat the Honanite. That's the other bad guy in the early part of the book. Therefore, I drove him from me. Remember, listen to this one. Remember them, remember them, oh my God, because they defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. <laughs> Verse 30. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priest and the Levites each to his service to bring in the wood offering and the first fruits of the appointed time. And it's as if you could hear him sign. <sighs> Remember me, oh my God, for good. Can you relate to that last verse? You just try, you just try your best. I, God, we just tried our best. You know, the court case is done. This thing's resolved, whatever it is. Like, we just we just tried our best. If you can say in that last moment of your life, that last day of your life. Remember me, oh my God, for good. May there be good to be found. That's what I was thinking. You know, remember me, oh my God, because I was willing to do this. Remember me, oh my God, show me mercy because I was willing to do this. Remember them because this is so evil that uh, uh, just please remember it in your justice. And remember me Oh my God, for good. So it started with "Remember me for good," and then "Remember me for good." That's the bookends of those things, and I, and I just I feel like there's like a microcosm of life living for Jesus on planet Earth. Like thought, this just kind of feels like life. As I look back on 35 years of ministry, the things I've had to confront and deal with, and been attacked on, or you know, brought upon myself or whatever, and just trying to be a faithful shepherd tending the flock, a parent, you know, four teenagers, and you know, now, like, you just, like, yeah, I tried, I tried, you know, we're trying, we're trying to get better, as I keep, like, I've been saying, I just want to be a better version at the end of this year than how I started, yes and amen, right, like, you know, so remember me for good, we're, we're trying, man, like, the batting average is a little better this year, you know, like, I feel like we won more games this baseball season than last baseball season, you know, remember us for good, Lord, we're really, we're trying, three times evil, three times confronted it, and three times he said, Lord, just please remember me. We're doing, we're doing the best we can. And I thought about this. I spent some time with a, a good friend today who has terminal illness. And uh, we, we were laughing about some things and, and crying about a few things. And, um, and, and just, yeah, I said, I love you, man. And, like, we were just talking like you just realize how it's over. You know, you just realize it's going to be over. And it's over. And you can't go back and do good. You never did good. The time to do good is today. If you want to be remembered for good, do good today. Wake up tomorrow and do good. you want to be remembered for good on your deathbed? <laughs> do good today. Wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to do good. And from here to the finish line, so I'm going to do good. I choose good. I'm going to do good. And then you can say on your last breath, as he's coming in glory for you, oh God, remember me for good. And through faith in Jesus, he sees us in the righteousness of Christ, but in that self-determined of a life of choices. Well, Sam taught on the, you know, the judgment of Christ just recently when he was here well, last Tuesday when he taught. He'll see us for good in Jesus, you know, but I, I want him to see you and me for good for what Jesus did through us for good, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Be encouraged, you know. Chapter 13 is choppy. It's hard. But it's life, and really it's a happy ending. Because God would see Nehemiah for good. And may he see us for the same.